Welcome to the McGuire Iron Podcast. My name is Brian Cooper. I am the Director of Business Development and Marketing at McGuire Iron and your host for this podcast. At McGuire Iron, we've been helping to store and protect quality water for over 100 years. On this episode, our guest is Frank Dunmire, the Executive Director of the Illinois Rural Water Association. Frank has been the Executive Director of the Illinois Rural Water Association since September of 2004. He has 32 years of experience in the water and wastewater industry and was a member of the Illinois Rural Water Association Board for 20 years. Frank, thank you for joining me on the McGuire Iron Podcast. You're more than welcome. Frank, give us a little background. Who is the Illinois Rural Water Association and give us your your guys' background. Well, Brian, uh, Illinois Rural Water Association is a uh, nonprofit organization of rural water and wastewater systems. Uh, We provide training and technical assistance throughout the state of Illinois. Um, Membership is uh, open to all organizations and individuals associated with the water and wastewater industry. IRWA was founded primarily um, to train and offer on-site technical assistance to small water and wastewater systems. Um, IRWA is uh, governed by a nine-member nine board of directors, eight of which are elected by members in eight separate districts throughout the state, and the ninth is elected um, as an at-large director at our annual conference. Each one of them serves a uh, three-year term. So you talked a little bit about some of the things that your organization does and provides Let's get a little bit more specific. Who are the members of IRWA when you say it's open to anyone in water and wastewater? What does that look like? Uh, our, basically, we have four uh, categories for uh, membership in the Illinois Rural Water Association. Probably the most important one is our voting members. To become a voting member, um, you have to be a municipality that is 10,000 or less um, in population. That is kind of defined by rural development, what a small rural system is, 10,000 and under in population. Then we have a uh, membership bracket called supporting members. That's the municipalities that are over 10,000 in population. They do not have voting rights, but they will get, you know, all of the other benefits of the association. Then we have associate members, which are the vendors, the manufacturers. Then we have an individual membership for uh, water or wastewater operator to sign up as an individual. It's called uh, SOUP, Society of Utility Professionals. Sometimes municipalities won't join the association so individuals will join so they can get uh, notices of any training sessions or conferences that are going to be going on so we talked a little bit about members what are some of those benefits that the members get i mean you touched on technical assistance what does technical assistance look like for your office to your members in the state of illinois well for on-site technical assistance uh, we have three circuit riders that deal uh, with uh, drinking water issues. Um, That might be operational, managerial, um, financial issues. Uh, They will visit in person 
with these systems, sit down, discuss their problems. If they don't know the answer, they usually know someone that does. And a lot of times that's going to be one of our associate members, a vendor, if you will. And then on the wastewater side, we have two wastewater technicians um, that travel the state. Predominantly, we have one in the northern part, one in the southern part. Um, I should back up. We do have four circuit riders now on the drinking water side. It's not bad going from one side of the state to the other, but when you go from top to bottom, that gets that gets real rough. Right. So on the wastewater side, we got the two uh, wastewater technicians. Uh, we have one that uh, works predominantly in the northern part of the state, and then one in the southern part. Uh, then we also have a source water protection specialist. Um, he gets to cover the entire state. Uh, he draws up source water protection plans for systems. It's 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 far easier to keep contaminants out of a well than it is to remove them once they get in. So you know he'll set up uh, source water protection plans for systems. Uh, we do have a a part time position. It used to be a full time position through US EPA funding for training. Um, uh, classroom style training and that person can also do on-site technical assistance as well let's see then we have an energy efficiency um, specialist he will visit uh, with systems uh, take a look at all of their energy usage and then draw up a a plan of how they can more efficiently uh, run their systems you know, whether it be putting in variable frequency drives or replacing motors as they fail with uh, you know, more efficient motors, if you will. Maybe not change them out right away, but when they fail, look at a, the cost difference between uh, a high efficient motor versus just an efficient one. Uh, we do uh, have a state-funded circuit rider that he delves into rate structures, and I had no idea until he started on that of how many different rate classifications some systems have in the state. He will go through, look at their audits, uh, look at their rate structure, look at uh, what kind of water they are selling what kind of water they are producing how much shrinkage is involved and then he will uh, put together a a rate structure that will put them back into the black or improve uh, their financial conditions and a lot of this is revolved around them getting um, some sort of a loan if you will um, if you get a loan, how are you going to pay it back? Because, you know, you have to pay it back. Right. Uh, so we give them several options of what they can do with their rates, and then they can kind of pick and choose uh, to see what they uh, want to do. And then we also recommend that they have an automatic increase um, every year of, of a 3%. Nobody sees a 3% increase, but if you wait, 10 years and do a 30% increase, the phone rings off the wall. <laughs> right, exactly. 
though, you know, some of them have uh, taken us to heart on that and have uh, put that in place. Our deputy director who he does our GIS GPS mapping for us, and he also <clears throat> runs the uh, pipeline video inspection equipment uh, on, on larger projects. You know, I, d I think that people don't realize that all of the services you just listed that Rural Water provides, it's an extensive list, and not a lot of people know what happens, but it's, it's really important that these services exist. Yeah, and along with those services, we also have what we call an equipment library. Uh, there's a, a lot of equipment that a system may only need to use once or twice a year. And, you know, some of this equipment is expensive. So, you know, we have been fortunate enough that we can purchase um, all kinds of equipment and then just kind of put it into a library. So, you know, if you need to test your well depths or something like that, you can come and borrow the equipment, check it out, bring it back in working condition, we hope. If it works when it leaves, we'd like for it to work when it comes back. On my last insurance, we were looking at $350,000 worth of equipment that we have um, you know, in our library for them to, to borrow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great service as well. And one of the other things you know, that you provide to your members is, is training. And that, that seems to be one of the other high-level things that, that your organization provides to its members. Talk to me a little bit about how you provide training and how important that is for your members. Uh, you know, almost everybody can do training, but not everybody can do training right. And um, we always meet with uh, you know, representatives from US EPA and more importantly, Illinois Environmental Protection Agency. You know, what are we looking at as far as you know, maybe new rules, new regulations? Um, what are you seeing as a privacy agency as, you know, common things that our um, systems are struggling to stay in compliance with? And, you know, we'll take all of that and then we'll start um, designing our training program for the, for the upcoming year and kind of delve into, you know, that subject matter and try to get people back into compliance. We we struggled through this whole COVID-19 thing of not being able to do in-person training sessions. That was going to be that was going to be my next question because I think you're not unlike any other organization where you know the your primacy agency Illinois EPA has said you still have to be certified as a water operator or a wastewater operator but yet nobody can meet in person. So how have what what was your strategy? How did you overcome that? What is it? What did that look like for your organization? We did uh, some webinars. There are operators in Illinois, and I'm sure that's probably that way across the country. They really like in-person, face-to-face training sessions. And you know, we struggled um, on trying to put some webinars together, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. But then we would also look at, you know, what phase of, is Illinois in for you know, recovery? How many people can we get into a room, you know, socially distanced? 
And, you know, for a while there was 10 people. And so, you know, we would actually have small in-person training sessions with just 10, 10 people in the room uh, just so they could get their CEUs. Because, you know, we did talk to Primacy about is there going to be, you know, an extension for those that will be, you know, expiring at the end of June. And the answer was no. They've had three years to get their hours in, and there's ample, you know, online training out there. So, no, we're not going to extend it. How has that process changed the way you guys look at training? And does, does that change your plan for training moving forward based on what you learned during COVID? Well, I would love to say yes, that we're going to put together a lot of webinars. But to be honest with you, uh, we just don't see um, the value in just doing predominantly webinars. You know, they just, in my opinion, do not get enough value out of sitting there watching a computer screen and getting interruption after interruption during, you know, the 30 minutes or hour, however long the training session is. It's just too easy to get distracted on webinars. So we are looking at um, doing more in-person as the state begins to open up. Um, that being said, large gatherings are still uh, a challenge right now. So conferences are going to be a little bit different looking, but we are going to be trying to get back into the in-person um, training sessions. That was my next question. As you talk about large gatherings, I know you uh, postponed your uh, annual conference that happens in the spring to June. I'm guessing part of that was because of, you know, where you're at with COVID, the regulations. What, what has that done to your organization to be able to pivot that kind of an event, still put it on, but yet have to do it in a different way than you have in the past? Well, to say it, it was a challenge would be an understatement. Um, we've had lots and lots of meetings and discussions um, amongst, you know, our office staff and our membership services um, director. She is, she is our conference person. We have met with the conference center on numerous occasions. Where are we at now? What can we do? What can't we do? Uh, so, you know, we made the decision not to cancel but to postpone ours, you know, from February into June, uh, just to see, you know, what was going on at that point in time. And could we possibly get a conference in and get um, operators, you know, a bunch of CEU hours. So we finally landed on, I believe this is plan C. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, it's going to be a two-day event, but you will only sign up for one day. So the topics will be repeated the following day. We can get 200 people, attendees, into um, the classrooms um, and be socially distanced and meet all uh, state guidelines at this point in time. 
Um, so we can get 200 people there, but we got split them into you know two herds of uh, 100 each. In Illinois, if you are fully vaccinated, you do not count towards the 100 people that you can have. So technically, you can have more people there. Uh, how how we are going to determine whether or not they're fully vaccinated? Not sure on that one yet. That's a meeting to be had yet. <laughs> right. It's an ever it's an ever evolving situation. Yes. Yeah, so you know our topics for the day. Um, each of our speakers will present twice on the subject each day, um, splitting you know the, the, into herds of a hundred. So from nine to ten, you'll hear subject day, and then from ten to eleven. Subject A will be taught to the next 100 people. So that's where we have landed right now at this point in time. Um, before this latest surge, we were really, really close to what they are calling the bridge from phase four to phase five, which phase five is you know, everything wide open. And in the bridge, you could have had large gatherings again. So we're kind of crossing our fingers, hoping that we can um, get to there uh, because we are administering another association's fall conference for them this year. Uh, they came to us and asked if we would um, administer their conference where they were struggling. And right now we're planning on that one being a, a wide open conference. Let's switch gears here a little bit. You know, we've talked we've talked about COVID nineteen and the issues you guys have faced during that. What are some of the other issues that your members, your organization, are are trying to help help your members with? Well, during the COVID pandemic, um, a lot, almost everyone. Uh, water system out there did not turn anyone's water off, um, you know, for non-payment. Uh, most of them did not charge any late fees. And, you know, at the end of the month, they were struggling, the systems were struggling and trying to pay their own bills because they did not have the revenue coming in that they should have. So, you know, we are visiting you know, with systems, trying to show them you know, what they can do, you know, with rates um, to improve their financial um, situation. We've also been able to uh, demonstrate to them that there are some options out there as far as low interest loans to get them through. Some of them um, in Illinois anyway. Um, our grants that uh, they can apply for just to make ends meet. What does the future look like for Illinois Rural Water? Where are you guys going? What are some of the things that you're excited about on the horizon that you know, you're helping out members with or things you're looking at? Probably the most exciting thing that we've got um, on our plates right now is the apprenticeship program that we are trying to get up and running. This is a, a, another program through National Rural Water Association and being funded by you know, USDA Rural Development to uh, try to train the next generation of water and wastewater operators. 
Ryan, to be honest with you, every time I'm at a conference and I have to speak, I'm always looking out in the audience. And what I see, if they've got any hair, it's gray, just like mine. And they're not going to be around, you know, too many more years. And then I look at the young faces. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, unfortunately, I'm probably not going to see half of those young faces back here next year. And that's all because city councils, village boards don't really realize what the value of an operator is until, I should say, they don't have one. And then they're trying to find one. And like, uh-oh, I have to have an operator and there's nobody out here. So, you know, through this apprenticeship program, we are going to demonstrate that there is value in a water and or wastewater operator. It's going to be a two-year apprenticeship. Uh, you know, they have to work for a system, and there has to be a mentor there. You know, we'll be going through all of the OSHA classes and safety classes, and then get into water and or wastewater. And Illinois is going to be $15 an hour minimum wage in three more years. So that is the minimum that they're going to have to pay an apprentice to start off. And then after six months, there would be a 10% increase. After a year, another 10%. After 18 months, another 10%. And then 20% at the end of the year. So when it's all over, said, and done with, after that apprentice comes out of the program, he should be making a livable wage between forty-eight and $50,000 a year. I think this is a great initiative because, as you mentioned, when you look out over the room and see all the water operators and where that age is at, I mean, this is, a, this is an important piece of the future for water distribution and wastewater treatment in the state of Illinois. Yes. Now, if we could just get an apprenticeship program for village board members and city council members, we'd have it made, but <laughs> we just can't do that. All right. Well, Frank, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us on the podcast and help us learn more about Illinois Rural Water. You're welcome. Remember, you can always connect with us by going to our website, mcguireiron.com. You can ask questions by sending us an email at info at mcguireiron.com, or you can follow or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast.